0: Welcome to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. As always, I am your host, Chris Lestrino, founder and CEO of KingScrab. Inside Startup Investing is the number one podcast for learning about the best startups and investors in the online private markets. If you are a startup investor, this is a show for you. This podcast is powered by KingScrab's proprietary rating technology that helps us to uncover the best founders and stories that you need to hear about before clicking invest. Now, before we get started, we want to thank our sponsor, LawCloud, the premier solution for founders to prepare to raise capital online. Whether you need to file a Form C, a Form 1A, or a subscription agreement, LawCloud provides the lowest cost, easiest to use toolkit for founders to make raising capital online easier than ever. Now, on to today's show. Today we are joined by John Panacchoni who is the founder and CEO of Fola Capital. Uh, Fola Capital is a new marketplace uh, on the scene in the equity crowdfunding industry and I think they have kind of a unique lens and angle that they're going after which I'm really excited to explore more. Um I have followed John's story for quite a while. He's been a contributor to Forbes for many years. He's written some really interesting articles on the space and has been someone I've wanted to speak to for for a good long time. So Excited to have this conversation here today, and hopefully you are as well. Uh, so with that, John, thank you so much for joining us here.
1: Hey, Chris, thank you uh, for inviting me. I feel privileged to be here. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. So let's kick it off, learn a little bit more about you, and what are you up to at Fola Capital?
1: Well, I want uh, three founding partners here. So I have my role, which is typically uh, talking to people about capital raising in general. And then, uh, that's kind of my area of expertise. And then, you know, we're, we're, I couldn't be happier with how things are going with the market and how things are, the innovations that are occurring, which I'm sure we'll get into. And I just love my job. And, uh, so that's, what's going on at Fola. so far, so good. And can't complain. can always be better, of course, but, uh, things are going well. You know, we're in about our third year, if you look, uh, back in time, but, uh, I'll be brief. Uh, I did some time in the Army after college, uh, jumped out of airplanes and stuff and uh, learned a lot from that and um, did corporate America for a while. Then I founded my first company in 2003, uh, a startup. So I've actually been on the side of having to raise capital. So I raised a couple of million dollars in equity uh, from investors. And even though I had an MBA at the time, you can't teach this stuff. So uh, you know, I I was an operator for a while. I actually ran that company for 17 years and sold it in 2020. And before I sold it, we actually were getting into North Carolina's intrastate crowdfunding program. This was years ago as a software provider. And my old company was the first and only, uh, at the time, software provider authorized by the Secretary of State's office in North Carolina to be the provider for the platform. That's how I get into this business. Uh, originally. And, uh, along the way, I started a nonprofit for veterans looking to get into business after they leave the military and Fola Capital capitals, my third company.
0: Very cool. Well, first off, thank you for your service. Thanks for jumping out of planes. And, um, and let's, uh, let's talk about that evolution where, you know, you were playing with those interstate rules, which for the, the real geeks who are very into this was kind of like a first, first round of creating an equity crowdfunding type environment. Um, and now where we are today, what inspired you to say, you know what, let's take this a step further and get into this kind of newly emerging space?
1: Uh, long story short, I my company always needed about a million dollars in working capital. Um, and as many listeners might know, that's like no man's land or you know, it's too high for v- angels, too low for VCs. And I, I find a lot of companies are in that zone. But, you know, Reg CF now, for example, as we all know, can go up to $5 million, which is one of the reasons for that. But at the time, my company, for years, we were profitable, but working capital, we always are undercapitalized. And that number $1 million, is what I needed. So I was searching for all different ways to get a $1 million. I was trying, I was looking at EB-5 programs. I was looking at all kinds of stuff. And then... Along comes Reg CF and the Jobs Act, and then I was studying that. And of course, it took years for uh, the SEC to put the rules in. We all know that story. But during that time, the different states were adopting interstate rules, and I was tracking it in North Carolina, which is where I'm at, where my business was at. And lo and behold, as soon as it got approved, I literally had a meeting at the Secretary of State's office, a face to face meeting, old school face to face meeting, and they were the staff there was happy that a company wanted to raise money under this new law, and um, they said, well, that's great that you're here. Uh, The good news is you can do it now. I said, I know. That's why I'm here. I said, is there bad news? He goes, well, the law says you have to use a state-approved crowdfunding platform, and uh, I said, okay, which one is it? They said, we don't have one. (laughs) So um, during my two-hour drive back from Raleigh, I I I was mad, and I said, wait a minute, I own a software company. So... I got with my head engineer, my CTO, and I showed them the requirements and they go, We we can do that with our product. So we, we began to modify our product working with the state to meet its requirements. And lo and behold, a few months later, you know, we were authorized to facilitate raises in North Carolina. So that's how I got into it.
0: Got it. And and you made a great point, which I want people to to like really understand, which is, you know, if you go out and try and raise about one, I'd say even one to $3 million. It is amazing. I mean, most VCs will basically just pass because they'll say it's not big enough. If you've watched kind of the the size of funds over the last 20 years, they've increasingly gotten larger and larger and larger. And because of that, they need to take bigger and bigger and bigger bets. So if you're in that range of needing one to 3 million, they can't make a big enough bet to make it exciting for their portfolio. And if you're above like 250 to 500, every angel is going to basically tell you that, there's no way I could fund enough to get you there. So I really don't want any part of this because I don't want to take on the risk of being the only one funding this thing. And so it does. It creates a very precarious situation, which I can tell you I've been through uh, very much myself. I you know, I was laughed out of like 30 plus rooms when I was trying to do a million dollar round by VC, saying, good luck, and we want no part of this. Um, so I know exactly what that's about, and I think there's a huge value in helping those types of companies. Now, obviously, there's you know there's many platforms out there. There's a handful that are the biggest, and then there's kind of this long tail. Um, where do you position Fola Capital? What is its unique di- differentiating factor, and what do you hope kind of makes it stand out from the pack?
1: Great question. So, uh, well aware of who the players are in the industry. So we're a, a SEC registered broker dealer, first of all. So we're not we're in that group, and. We, we spent a lot of time and money getting there. And um, very hard to become one of those, as you know. And w- one of the reasons I, I feel personally and my partners feel that that's important is we want to be able to give advice. So, um, you know, and we're able to. So our approach is to actually work with small business owners, startup entrepreneurs or people that have an active business. We're about 50-50 with our portfolio. And to be able like, to assess what they're trying to accomplish and what they already have and what they've done and say, all right, based on everything you've told us, you know, Reg CF's not right for you. You should do a 506B or a Reg D 506C, or you should do a side-by-side, or you should get a bank loan and we think we can get you one. So the, the, that's kind of the approach we take. We're not a one-trick pony with Reg CF, um, and I think that's what makes us different. Uh, Second, we focus, we're not exclusive to, but we focus on veterans in particular, military veterans. But we also have a passion for women and minority owned businesses. Those three groups um, have an extra hard time getting funding from traditional sources. So we love to help those folks because between me and the partners, we've kind of experienced that personally um, and understand that. So. I think those two things. We're a broker dealer, and and we we try to give advice on which approach to take, which exemption to use. Um, number one, number two, we work with those specialized groups as a as a primary focus. Um, and I would say there's a number three too. We don't pass judgment on anybody. We don't say, "No, we think your business sucks, and we don't want to work with you because we think you're a loser." We we don't say that. We you know we allow people to come in and say, "Here is the process. Here are the regulations." We're a broker-dealer. We can help you with this. We have a duty to the SEC and FINRA to do some level of due diligence and make sure that you are filling all the blanks and checking all the blocks. We are going to do that, but if you're willing to, we'll take you on. We're not going to pass judgment. We like to let the community decide who's got a good business and who doesn't. So we don't like gatekeepers. Those are the three things I think that differentiate us.
0: I think that's terrific and, and very much in the spirit of, I, I think, the law, right, of, of the JOBS Act trying to create a marketplace where let the people decide what they want to invest and in, what they don't want to invest. In. Right. Um, I think that makes a ton of sense. So talk to me about some of the early successes and early challenges that you've experienced uh, in
1: creating this new marketplace. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of false starts. I mean, with any business, not, you don't bat a thousand, right? So we all learn from our mistakes. Even capital raises aren't guaranteed. So as a business, we've learned that too. We, we've absolutely continuously improved our own processes and stuff. Our, our first issuer was a group called Harmony Global Foods up in New Jersey, minority-owned business. We were successful <laughs> one for one and uh, very happy about that. We raised about 180000 for them. And uh, it was a meal kit company during COVID. And, uh, you know, we're very happy about that. We've had a couple of people that had, haven't hit their goals and we've had a, a uh, couple of people that have hit their goals. So we're, we're averaging about what the industry average is, uh, for successes. So we're, we're quite pleased with that. Um, we've really rethought, uh, the process a lot and I can get into that. So when we first started, we were, very, I started focus from interstate in North Carolina to then a focus on Reg CF, and now we're focusing broader. You know, the these exemptions that have existed for years can can be used by many companies. In fact, oftentimes they're a better fit than Reg CF. So I think that's what we've learned: that Reg CF isn't a silver bullet. It's not a one size fits all. There's really people need to use that exemption when it makes sense. And there are better options sometimes. And I think that's what we've learned.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I I always kind of say, you know, capital is a commodity and you need to, and there's the capital stack has become deeper over the years. So yeah, you have your 506B for your most traditional raise, you have your 506C, you have your reg CF, you have your reg A plus, you have all these options at your fingertips, but picking the right one at the right time is really, really important. Probably one of the greatest challenges that our industry has found is driving investment, getting investors to engage. And it's funny, I have probably heard from, you know, I've talked to hundreds of founders since we started this company. um, And I'll say, well, what's your your capital raising strategy? Well, we have 3 million followers on Twitter. And it turns out like you might get a 1% conversion on that, on a good day, right? Um, So it's not easy. What are you finding as effective ways
1: to create investor engagement? That is a great question. You know, I'm a geek when it comes to this topic. Uh, You know, I've taken five SEC exams on my road to becoming a broker-dealer, and I've had to study this issue, and uh, I've studied, I read books about the great crash in 1929, and I say all that to answer your question. Uh, In America, it's a big um, change management process, for lack of a better word. You know, we have two generations of people in May of this year, it, it's the 90th anniversary of the Securities Act of 1933. So, for two generations of Americans, most families, 89% of U.S. households are non-accredited. For two generations in those families, no one's been talking about investing in private businesses. And we joke—you know—you've probably heard this before, Chris. But you know, in 1933, the government, in re- for all the right reasons, said. You can't invest in a private company unless you're accredited for all intents and purposes, right? But they didn't say we couldn't do other things in life. Like no one the government never said you can't invest in rental property or real estate, right? You can you can do that and be a non accredited No, the government didn't say you can't go to Vegas and gamble your life savings away. The government never said you can't start a business and put hundred percent of your savings into your own business and lose it all. That's okay. But you to write a five K check for your buddy's company is illegal, right? Um, so we've had two generations where that hasn't been part of our American l- home conversations. The accredited families, though, never stopped, right? So so those families keep talking about that from generation to generation. But we've had most Americans haven't been able to. So I think that's the biggest challenge at the macro level. And I think the younger generation is really adopting this because they don't have a history, right? So because they can now, and it is legal, and it's something that we all can do with our money now, more people are doing it. But it's not happening overnight, and that's the biggest struggle, I think. It has a lot to do with uh, two generations of not being able to do it.
0: Uh, I, You know what? I haven't heard it said better than that, which is, I, I always say, like, just it's an awareness issue. But it's an awareness issue deep-seated in two generations whatever, 70, 90 years now of people basically being unaware or knowing that they're unable they could, to, not even thinking about it. And now suddenly it becomes accessible to, to the mass market. Um, it's a great point. So going off of that, what are some of the, the ways that Follow Capital is thinking about how we overcome that hurdle? I mean, that's a, it's a long game, right? Like how, how do we get there?
1: Well, again, it is a long battle. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, you know, we kind of look at things at the end of the day. I, I think the theory that you hang your shingle up on a website and, and sit back and watch the money come flying in from total strangers is is not reality. And I tell people who come look at us as a potential uh, company that might want to help, I said, if you hear that from a platform, run like hell. And I, I, I firmly believe that. Because if you look at the stats, right, some of which you report, that's not the case. So it comes down to the good old, old school, you need to go out and develop relationships, sell your story, and get people convinced to write a check. Platform or no platform, that has to happen. And, um, you know, we have this thing we do call the top five things you need to know to be successful with this. And number one is you got to be able to sell. Uh, you got to be able to... Tooth- do two things that are hard at the same time. One, explain your company in f- a few minutes so it makes sense and gets people excited. And two, ask people for money. Both those things are hard. And when you're raising capital, you're doing that at the same time. And if you never sold anything in your life, good luck, right? So, um, I don't know if I'm straying from your original question, but it, it's uh, you know that's what we're seeing. It, it's it's hard. It's always going to be hard. And when you go into people. To a pool of people that have never invested in a private business before it's even harder because they have no idea how that works and they're afraid of it because it involves their money Um, so that's what i think the main challenge is so to answer your question it comes down to people that trust you or believe in what you believe in or feel like they're part of your tribe those are the ones we're seeing write checks so when it comes to veterans minorities and and women-owned businesses, for example, people that that atta- attach themselves to those groups have a trust level that gets you at least halfway there to writing the check, right? Yep. And now the rest of it, you got to convince them. But at least you get a good head start when that's who your primary target investors are—people like you.
0: If we look at you know the biggest players that are out there, your WeFunders of republics, you know they're relatively well-funded and they're definitely spending money both source deals. And to source investors for founders, um, Folo Capital, from what I can gather, is definitely a smaller shop and potentially even bootstrapped and funded by by yourself and maybe your partners. Um, so, how do you think about growth? How do you think about success when you're going up against kind of deep-pocketed platforms?
1: You know, I've had almost 20 year career in the software industry battling Goliaths, and I was you know uh, running a little software shop. We had great customers like. Fortune 100 companies, but we were the little itty bitty software company. Um, so I'm used to it. I, I, I think you take good sniper shots to hit what you aim at versus, you know, trying to mow everybody down with a machine gun and try to get market share, because I, I think you become good at what you do because you have to. And that's been our strategy, right? we We can't afford to make a lot of mistakes or throw a lot of money at wishful thinking like we have to be very precise starting with the sec regulations we have to make sure we're following those rules to a T. number one number two we got to give good advice to our clients i i must say and i i'm not i'm not one to criticize or be negative but i don't think it's good for the industry so i'm going to speak up i think there's a lot of stuff out there on some platforms that are shockingly lack of due diligence i'll i'll just leave it at that um you know particularly with reg cf other than an audit perhaps or a review there's not a lot of requirements for specific due diligence one of the advantages of going through a broker dealer is the broker dealer is duty bound to the scc to conduct a level of due diligence before they offer the security that's one big difference between broker dealer offer deals and platform offer deals and when you go to um, deals that have not gone through some level of due diligence that's a little robust, I'm not sure what's being offered to the public is our good offers. And then that could give us uh, you know, some dark stains on the industry over time if that's not cleaned up a little.
0: Well, I, I think it's an interesting point you make but I, I want to ask you a couple of questions here. So I've gone through CF, I've gone through A+, I've gone through 506C. Kind of done it all, partly with this idea of really understanding the industry, eating your own dog food, and making sure we're going to be the data provider. We also need to know what it's like to truly go through this experience. Um, I will tell you, CF, yeah, it's, it's easy. I mean, it it makes it accessible to nearly any founder. A plus is deeply difficult, painful, and oftentimes cumbersome in a way that I don't think the rules intended, but is how things are structured with the SEC and what have you. And just that's just the way it is. So what's the happy medium between your CF and your A+, where A-plus is maybe too intensive for startups, CF is maybe slightly too easy from what you're talking about. Where's that middle ground?
1: Well, I think it's an easy answer. It's Reg D, right? So you got three flavors of Reg D. You got 504, 506B, and 506C, right? 504 has some state requirements. Typically, lawyers use 504, right? So because they're part of the state bar. So when they did... Capital A's is the old-fashioned way. That might be the exemption that works best for a lawyer-led traditional round, the old-fashioned way, like I did back in the day. Um, but with with public offerings, whether they're on a platform through a broker-dealer because it's not a RCF or not, um, five hundred six Bs and Cs. We're big fans of five hundred six Bs and Cs, and the require. You know, my argument for the requirements, yeah, they're robust, but having run a business and raised capital and now helping companies package up their offerings, those requirements just reflect the level of due diligence that I believe all companies should go through, including our reg CF deals. If you look at our reg CF deals on our platform and look at the information we're disclosing and the projections, and it's the same due diligence a reg D offering goes through with us, right? And, um, you know, it's... I, I think... To answer your question, Reg D would be my answer. Reg A's are very cumbersome in terms of the requirements. Reg CF are more relaxed, um, and Reg D I think is a good happy medium.
0: I'm actually curious to hear that because, I, I, again, just in my own experience, in in Reg D offerings, like technically, I'm not required to provide any information. It's kind of what the what the investor asks. Sometimes they ask really technical, deep questions. Sometimes they don't ask anything, and they just say, sounds good, send over the paperwork. Um, So to me, like, in some ways, there's less disclosure, and you don't need to have an audit, you don't need a review. You could just kind of give them what you think. You know, partly I think that's why, like, an FTX can happen, because they didn't need to have anything audited. So I'm, like, not shooting it down, just trying to understand, like, what you think about Reg D is enabling better due diligence versus CF.
1: Well, yeah, that's a great question, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with Reg Ds allow you to go to more traditional investors, right? In some cases, you're limited to the, like a 506B, for example. It has to be people you know, right? So my answer to that question is when you go to raise money the old-fashioned way to traditional investors, you've got to give them a lot of information. I mean, when I had my software company and I was working with VCs to potentially get funds, it's months of due diligence and projections And all this stuff they want to see before they write a check, so it doesn't matter what the SEC regulations say you have to have, it's whatever a more sophisticated investor is going to expect to have before they write a check, right? To me, it's more of the latter. So you might use a Reg D 506 or a six b or C, and, and it doesn't really matter what the regulations say on one hand, it's the robustness of the due diligence and the material presented and how it's presented. It's going to gain the confidence of a more sophisticated investor to write a bigger check. Um, I think that's kind of the the, the answer there. Uh, You know, I just read an article you're probably aware of about Shark Tank, right? And how on the show, everybody says, I'm going to put 50 grand in there and then like 70% of the time, they never get any money. Well, that's because those, they do due diligence and they don't see what they need to see to write their check. I think that's what it's all about. You know, no matter what exemption you use, even reg CF, this a certain level of due diligence and material I think needs to happen to be successful if you're an entrepreneur raising money at all. Right. No, oh, understood. And and I
0: absolutely agree with that point. Um, it should be a rigorous process and you did need to, you know, fight the good fight. So that that makes total sense to me. Um, so with that kind of mindset for follow capital and, you know, being more of a sniper than machine gun, perfectly well said for for a guy from the military, um, uh, what are your, like, what is your measure of success for full capital over call it the next, you know, three to five years? I know five's hard. Maybe talk about
1: that. Yeah. You know, we have a couple of measurable goals. You know, we want to, we want to raise 10 million this year, which is a lot for us. And, you know, we're, we're pacing towards that. You know, we're getting much better in terms of our scalability. Being a software person, you know, that's what I focus on scalability. So that's a selfish, measurable goal. But you know, our real measurable goal that means more is the success rate of our clients, right? We're never going to bat a thousand, but I'd like to do above the industry average. You know, if, if 60 to 70 percent of our clients are, are hitting their goals with their raises, we're really happy. Whether that's a $10 million dollar selfish goal hit or not, it, it's the batting average of our clients um, achieving what they want to achieve. So that, that's what we're hoping for. Above average. Success rates and selfishly at least 10 million in uh, capital raise this year.
0: I like that. Uh, a quality over quantity, in saying, hey, we could do just a few deals, but if those deals do exceptionally well, that is success versus we did a thousand deals and they all raise a hundred thousand. So we hit our goal anyway, but did anyone really yeah. succeed?
1: That's right. Yeah, a little bit of both quality and quantity, right? And the balance yeah, there pretty- is important. Uh, one other question for you here just because I I think
0: you sit at an interesting point to be able to think about this. Um, You have the type of company that can be venture-backed or will be venture-backed or already is venture-backed, more of your typical startup, high-scale, high growth type of company. And then there's this other type of company, and it kind of hits on your point about, like, these companies where maybe you need $1 to $3 million, you don't really fit any bucket, could be the perfect type of company for a private equity buyout. Or just a buyout and if it's priced right you know two to five ten million dollar valuation and you could grow into a 45 50 100 million dollar valuation on minimal capital raise, that could end up being a really terrific outcome for any investor um even a little bit smaller than that so with that in mind you know how do you think about some of the companies that raise on your pl- like? There's this intersection of this could be really good for a venture back type of company, but also more of like this mid-market private equity type of company. What are your thoughts on that? I'd love to hear that.
1: Well, good question. I think every company's profile is different. Their exit strategy is different. And and whatever is unique to that company that makes them different defines what their uh, funding strategy should be, right? So if, if your exit strategy is to grow, like you said, you know, from to $40 million in revenue from, say, five, and you want to exit in five to seven years, that's an equity investor. And you might want to do a, a not a Reg CF, but a 506C, or uh, and go after traditional investors that can write big checks that Reg CF investors can't to get you the capital you need, that is going to be patient to wait um, on the other hand, if you're opening up a bar, right, uh, a beer joint, um, equity is probably not even a good idea, period. So maybe it's a debt deal. We do a lot of debt deals, by the way. We can get into that. Maybe it's a revenue share agreement with nice perks for that beer place. And that's a better solution for them. And it's two very different groups of investors. So I think that's very important for people who want to raise capital to think through what's your exit strategy and, um, it, you know how much capital do you need and who's your target investor? And then kind of back up from there to, this, to engineer what kind of offering you should offer and what, which exemption to use. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. No, I, I think that's really well said. Um,
0: well, John, thank you so much for your time today. For folks who are interested in going to Fola Capital, becoming an investor on the platform, looking at some of your investment opportunities, um, where should they go? What should they do?
1: Yeah, com is our website. Uh, we also have a YouTube site where we've got a whole bunch of educational material, including like a little 18-minute TED Talk kind of thing that talks about the Securities Act of 1933 and some history there. Because without understanding that context, it's tough to understand what Reg CF is doing and why it's here. Um, so I encourage anybody to go to either the YouTube site or our website.
0: Love that. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your insights. And to all of our listeners, we appreciate you joining, as always, and have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening. As I mentioned, Inside Startup Investing is powered by King's Crowd. If you want to use the same tools I do to power your investment decisions, you can head on over to kingscrowd.com backslash startups to try out our Edge Pro Toolkit for 30 days free.